Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It's great to be with you guys. My name is Robert. I'm the comms director over at Ministry of State here with me. And as always, is my very good friend, Will Stockdale, a ministry associate with Ministry to State. Um, last week's episode, we, uh, we had an episode where we did actually did not mention the events that had transpired at the Capitol uh, uh, the day prior. Um, I, I think I just wanted to start out this episode by saying a core principle of the Will and Rob show um, is not to be reactionary. It's why we waited an entire week to discuss what happened um, uh, concerning the death of George Floyd. Uh, and it's why we waited a week uh, to discuss the events that transpired on, Cap- on the Capitol Hill uh, on January 6th. Um, and so that's something that we do uh, for you guys, for the audience. We don't think it would serve y'all uh, if we were just sort of giving our knee-jerk hot takes about what had happened, um, but instead spending a lot of time uh, discussing with each other uh, and in prayer about what a, a Christian, uh, a pastoral response might be to what happened. And so today we are going to discuss uh, what transpired on Capitol Hill on January 6th. Uh, I know it was jarring for uh, all of us, um, and jarring might be too light of a word, um, but just to get Will in here, uh, Will, where were you when you were watching what was happening? What was happening? What were your sort of your your thoughts as you watched what happened? Yeah, so I was still in Dallas, as I told you, I'd come down with the flu and um, was going to meet with one of my friends who's a pastor in Dallas. We we're going to get drinks, uh, and so I I left my house earlier in the day, and I got some text messages from a friend showing um, rioters storming the Capitol, and at first I was like. Oh my gosh, this is this is nuts. This is absolutely wild and highly inappropriate. This is wrong. What is going on as they are um, pushing the barricades that are in place back? And there's the picture of the police moving. And so I'd seen that, and it it was you know a raucous event and pretty disturbing. And then a couple hours later, you know, or actually not that much later the videos are then released of people actually breaking into the Capitol. And that is when it reached absolutely next level. There was no, no conception that something like that could happen. And I was actually in again, this coffee shop and um, I was on the phone with our boss, Michael and uh, Michael's like, is there anything going on that I should know about? And I said, (laughs) I was like, he's like, is that a real question? He's like, yeah, I just got back uh, in town. I've been gone all morning. And I was like, the Capitol has been broken into it. And he said, are you joking with me? And I said, no, I'm absolutely serious. He's like, just be straight. Is this actually happening? And I said, yeah, this is, this is, it's terrible. Go check out Twitter. And he said, okay, I have to go. And so that was the end of our conversation. The guy next to me, a couple seats down said, what was that? And I said, a bunch of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol uh, and are, are taking it over now. And so it was pretty shocking, but that, wow. that's, that's where I was when everything was going down. Wow, that's incredible. And it pretty um, much, I think for most of us, you know, who are following the news, it made the rest of the day, um, I mean, talk about unproductive. I mean, it was hard to think about anything else going on. And then the next day when I woke up Thursday morning, I, there was that split second where it was like, did yesterday actually happen? Right, right. 
yeah, I, my productivity went completely down uh, as soon as everything that started happening. What was, what was super interesting, I think, uh, going on in our house was my wife was watching the uh, debates on the floor uh, beforehand for work to, to uh, do stuff that she needed to for work. Um, what was really interesting was being able to watch like that progression of what were the senators saying on the floor to, you know, CNN's reporting, Hey, there's like this massive group outside the Capitol. This is strange. And then I think the first thing where it was starting to get concerning was they like, huh, they like climbed on top of the, the rafters that they built for the inauguration. That's yeah, the scaffolding. Yeah, the scaffolding. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden it was, people are storming the Capitol. This is getting out of hand. And then of course, all of the, uh, rest of the stuff that happened that was just so awful. I think um, it, it's important just to sort of mention uh, sort of what had happened and then we can kind of get to d- definitions. And so, because I think we're dancing around a, a question that I kind of want to lead off with. And so I, I guess it's important to state that how this whole thing started, at least according to my understanding, is that um, the president addressed a group that was planning to come to the Capitol uh, to protest uh, the certification by the Electoral College um, uh, they, that had been planned. The, the president addressed them. Uh, he gave, I think, about an, an hour speech to them. And in the process of that, of that speech, um, had encouraged them to march down to the Capitol and give support to Republican lawmakers that they might object or might um, raise uh, questions about certifying the, uh, the Electoral College vote. And so uh, that's what happened. Then the crowd moved from, a, from around the south side of the White House uh, and the Washington Monument down to the Capitol. Um, and then, of course, it got uh, violent and, and, and what transpired did. Um, but I think it, it, it brings up this good question of sort of what, what do you call this thing? There was a large debate uh, amongst uh, not just people on Twitter, but also the, the folks on, on the cable news stations that were covering it live, the, the lawmakers themselves, you know, what is going on? Um, and go ahead. Well, I want to say that as we come to the appropriate definition, you gave us some background. It's important to understand that background well, and not just that things were said, but what was said. Uh, You have Rudy Giuliani saying that we need to have trial by combat. We have Donald Trump saying, you got to fight. And if you don't fight, you're not going to have a country anymore. And then he did say, we'll go down and show them our support. So they moved, uh, east up towards the Capitol building from where they were, and then they stormed. And it's just a week later, it is still so shocking. And it, it, I think it's the darkest day debating with my mom. So I'm actually about if this was the darkest day since 9-11 or JFK. Um, I think in some ways it was the darkest day since JFK, just because there's so little to be proud of. There was enough rallying and heroic stories going on on September 11th to be, to, to be inspired by, but you know, as we look at definitions on what this is, as it ties into last week's show of the precision of our words, we have to understand what what did transpire. And the president of the United States did tell people that they've got to fight. And one of his lawyers told people that we didn't have trial by combat. And that leads us to discussing exactly what to call what happened. Right. And so the word that I've seen uh, pretty popular, pretty common is insurrection, um, there's sedition, there's riot, mob, um, there is uh, rebellion. Um, but one word that I think was used maybe 
that was used too frequently or was used and I, I think is really where the debate is around is, is people have called it a coup or, or an attempted coup. Um, and I guess, what are your thoughts about that conversation? What do you, what do you call it? Why do you, why do you call it that? Um, and and uh, kind of give me your, your reasoning behind it. Right. I, another term that I've heard is treason. Again, while what happened on Wednesday, January 6th was unequivocally awful and inexcusably terrible, it was not treason. And the reason it's not treason is that treason involves collusion with a foreign government in order to harm or attack, for example, the United States, the United States government. So it was not treason. I believe it was insurrection, absolutely, um, and that it was a rising up against uh, governing authorities. And the same with sedition, in that sedition is an act of violence against a lawful authority. And so both of these are the case. And it's important also to talk about this with heavy terms like insurrection and a rebellion against the government, because the, what happened did interfere with and stop a constitutional process that was right. occurring. No, I think that's, that's really smart. And as somebody pointed out on Twitter that I think it's, it's really right, it's like, I can, I can believe what happened is not a coup um, and also believe that what happened was really, really bad. There are, in fact, many really, really bad things. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of where I am. Um, I, I agree with all of what, what you just said. I think insurrection is a good word for it. Uh, I'm against coup uh, because I think I'm against coup for a couple reasons. Um, the first is that I think the word coup, I, I, I guess I shouldn't say I think this. The coup implies that there is this institutional support of what is happening. Um, and while in its in effect the president the office of the president was involved in what was going on this insurrection i think it's we need to be very clear that you know the military the media the other branches of government you know all these institu- these institution the church all these institutional um elements were not backing the the behavior that happened um and so to call it a coup i think is is a mis uh, is, is mis, a misdefinition. Yeah, part of the reason it's a misdefinition is that a coup involves a seizure of power, not right. just an obstruction and stopping of power. And this is going to be important because, as we know, there are going to be perhaps a thousand people, probably not that many. There are going to be a lot of people indicted and charged with right. what happened. And when they get charged and they're not charged with treason or they're not charged with a coup, we need to understand why they are not charged with that and why that's not what happened. Right. Yeah. Like when I was watching it, I was, I was aghast. I was upset by what was happening. I never once thought that the dude with the Viking helmet was going to all of a sudden be speaker of the house. And then like, we'd all be forced to recognize him as speaker of the house. And I I think that that's an important point. That's, that's silly, but it's, it's important because coup, I think also runs the calling it a coup also runs the risk of misdiagnosing. I think what is actually going on. And I think if we focus on the political problems that underpin what was going on, we, I think we're too quick to dismiss the sociological and the theological underpinnings of what was going on in that event. And so I want to be, I want to kind of move this into sort of like what was happening? Why did we get to this point where a mob felt um, 
justification in like storming the Capitol building. And if we focus on the political aspect of this problem, I fear we're going to, we're not going to be able to really address what's going on because if we only address it as a political problem, the assumption is that, well, once the, the political problem, which is Donald Trump goes away, this problem goes away. And I don't think that's going to happen. And so I'm, I'm really interested more in the sociological, the theological uh, uh, underpinnings of, of that event. And I think one thing that I was kind of struck by, I, I'd be interested in your perspective is the, I think everybody saw in the crowd, the people that they wanted to see. So this is sort of uh, in some way, uh, uh, my own opinion, but I was kind of amazed by how young some of the, the rioters were. It felt like there were a lot of young men my age. Did you feel that way? I think that's a really great point. I hadn't thought about it until you said that, but as I look back, then it certainly does seem to be the case that there were a lot of people who were young, uh, were our age. They're early 30s and late 20s, as you said. <laughs> you, you mentioned the theological problems here, and uh, you sent me an article that was the uh, the end of LARPing. Um, and so for those of you who don't know, LARPing is, is an acronym for live action role playing where you dress up as a character from a particular book or video game or TV show and you pretend to be them. And one of the um, disturbing things about January 6th was that there was almost this nihilistic approach to what was happening and that it was almost pretend play for people. There was a level of detachment from reality, from what was actually going on, from the implications of their actions that didn't even seem to be considered because people were dressing up in, you, you know, you had a revolutionary era drummer who was there. You have the, the guy with the horns was there. You the guy just, that was in like all like fox like hair, like with right. the fox head thing. I mean, it was weird. Very weird. Very weird. And, and you mentioned that it's young men our age, people who look like us. And there's the question of how does that happen? What are people believing or not believing? What is most important? Uh, the willingness to believe lies to do something like that. And furthermore, uh, why do these people feel so such an identification with virtual reality more than reality? Um, right. Not explaining away. This is a legitimate question of what is wrong because exactly. something's clearly wrong when 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 the fake is preferable to the real. Yes, for sure. No, I think that's totally right. I I, I read an interesting uh, interview that National Review did with uh, I think he's I think he calls himself the QAnon shaman or whatever. He's the dude with the Viking horns. Yes, Jacob Jelly, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They interviewed him. It, it and. It, the whole thing was just surreal because you're like, dude, you're going to go to prison probably. You're being indicted and you're like doing this sort of like casual kind of half jokingly interview with National Review. It's the same way I felt about the, the guy who um, broke into Pelosi's office and stole the folder off her desk. He like gave the New York Times his full name and age. And you're just... There's this like unwillingness to grasp the the seriousness of what's going on, and that kind of plays into your your nihilism uh, point. The uh, go ahead. I think well, I, I've had to wonder why that is, and um, 
one of the things we are going to avoid is comparing or contrasting the events from this summer with what happened, which were better or worse. Are they the same things do not happen in a vacuum? Most certainly. But I, I do want to say during the summer, one of the differences was that there was a feeling of existential uh, life or death situation for people who were protesting and rioting in cities. Instead of existentialism, there was nihilism in that there wasn't this fear of life or death by their actions. There was this comfortability in what they were doing that it was going to be okay in the end. I mean, in fact, they asked uh, QAnon Shaman why is it going to be okay? And he said, bro, I walked through an open door. I'm going to be fine. I was just sort of blown away that it just really felt like everyone was like, you, you could almost sense in the pictures and the words in the, even in the videos of the people storming the, like of the Capitol that it's like, do you guys not get it? Like, this is a joke. Like I, the image that's seared in my mind is the dude walking out with the podium, right? Like with that huge smile on his face. And then I had a, I had a buddy that texted me and I think it's a good point, which is that, for all of the the time that the this, that CNN that uh, the the cable news channels kind of went on and let their talking heads basically go tisk tisk at the folks who did it, like all those guys are sitting at home laughing at them. It's like it's like the dad shaming the the rebellious teenager, and the the, the teenager is kind of like, do you not get it? Like this is all a joke. Like I don't I think it's funny, and that to me is is almost scarier. It's definitely darker to me. Um, and I think Joker esque. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. We like to watch the world burn kind of mentality. And, um, I, I think it's important to, to say that because as I was reading this interview of, of the QAnon and shaman, uh, he, it, it's so fascinating. He makes this point where he's like, yeah, I was raised Roman Catholic, but I thought it was all a bunch of BS. Uh, but I, and, and so now I'm a, a uh, pagan worshiper who I wear this Viking helmet to scare off the, the demons and the evil spirits. So like one of the things that I was sitting here going, I was like, Oh, like this is still deeply, there's still this like deep longing for almost a, for some sort of spiritual connection to give meaning to what's going on. Um, but it's not, it's not organized religion, right? It's not Christianity. Um, it's something very different. And so that seems to me to play into a lot of what I have been spending a lot of time reading and listening to, which is just sort of how postmodern culture has uh, really teed up a generation, especially of young men that are more susceptible to radicalization, internet uh, conspiracy theories, and clearly uh, some pretty deranged religious experiences. Yeah, you wonder if someone like that guy who is so far down the road of a postmodern vacuity that they are tempted not towards secularism, but towards paganism. Instead, there's this quote in C.S. Lewis, one of his essays, where he says, I just read a report that one of our you know, members of the House of Commons said that we are becoming a pagan nation once again. He says, would that we were. If they were sacrificing cattle on the lawns of Westminster by a druid, we'd be much closer to Christianity than our secularity. And I think one of the things that he was looking at in that time in the 60s was that, or 50s, was um, that there is a difference between this paganism and the secularism. That, and it seems that paganism, and gosh, we're getting a field here, which is probably worth the whole show, but is going to follow right after secularism has its day. 
and it's 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 you know kind of in a fever throws right now as it's probably coming to its end and we're probably gonna have to deal with more more of the pagan-esque type issues than just strict secularism no i think that's totally right and i i think that there's something that we don't really want to address um because it would expose i think certain a certain complicitness even amongst dare i say the church uh with some of the things that you know maybe caused uh or got us to the point that we're at and i and i want to be really careful here because i think we need to be very it's very important to say that the people who stormed the capitol made personal choices to disobey the law and to do what they do they did and so they are absolutely responsible for their actions i don't think some of the uh, immediate knee jerk uh, elite bashing uh, that happened after the capitol even that donald trump himself got into by saying this is what happens when you do xyz I don't think it's very helpful, uh, but I do think it's important. I think it's worth saying here um, that there are certain strains of our secularized country, our secularized culture right now, um, that put a much bigger emphasis on individual individualism, materialism, consumerism, um, that have brought us to a point as a culture where a lot of these young men who are interviewed don't have steady employment. They're not necessarily connected to big families. Um, and they're, they're not really part of an institutional religion. Uh, and so they're desperately wanting a lot of the things that come with those. And I think one of the big, the big things is community. And what was so interesting to me was reading all these stories about the people who got together on uh, sort of fringe social media networks about what was happening on the 6th, getting together, people who were picking up random strangers on the side of highways because they had organized uh, this get together, this sort of like, hey, I want to come, but I don't think I can get away. Um, I don't want to fly because I'm going to bring my firearm. And people being like, oh, we'll pick you up. Like, love to have you on. There's this, there's these things that come with like sort of the QAnon conspiracy theory culture um, that people don't feel like they can get outside. And so they're trying to get in this place. And I'm not trying to excuse that. I'm just saying that's a really interesting phenomenon. And I wonder if it's something we've really, or if we're something we're even willing to really address. Something that we uh, have been thinking about and talking about a lot is the topic of Christian nationalism, which is certainly a theme that was discussed after and during the riots. I do want to say this one more thing about precision of language before we go on. I was talking to a friend and, and she was saying that it could be a good idea to make a distinction between, you know, there is, there is the fear of stepping on a landmine um, in a political, politically correct culture. And, and that's a shame because that's not healthy. That's, that's not a good way. That's uncharitable. There is also the importance and reverence to, to choose the correct word at the moment. And that's a different sort of thing. And, you know, our words, the Proverbs are full of emphasizing the importance of choosing our words carefully and properly, whether it's speaking kindly versus rudely to keeping our mouths shut because we end up getting ourselves in trouble. And there's an ancient wisdom in Christianity that says your words can affect the way someone sees and understands reality. And the way that you speak about reality needs to be consonant with the reality that is revealed in scripture first and foremost, which was certainly not what happened on the 6th. There was nothing about that that was resonating with what scripture calls us to do. 
And this brings up the topic of Christian nationalism as well. What is it? What danger does it play within the church? Um, and what can we do about it? Yeah. No, I think your words about, about, defini- about definition and being careful about our words is really well taken. And I think is, is important. Um, I think I would start off by saying, I, I want to admit that I was wrong about uh, sort of the conversation about Christian nationalism before, Jan- before the 6th. Um, I really downplayed its significance. I downplayed its role in what I thought was going on uh, with the Trump movement, the Trump phenomena, our current political moment. Um, and as I watched the events on the 6th, I mean, I just couldn't help but notice, I couldn't ignore the Jesus 2020 sign. I couldn't ignore the amount of the Christian flag. I couldn't ignore uh, the Jesus save sign that was so prominent on the balcony as people were literally storming in to the Capitol. And so while I would, I would not say what happened on the 6th was a Christian nationalist movement, I would absolutely agree that it is at least a core component of this thing. Um, and I think you, as I've done more research and learned more, I mean, there is a very Christianese uh, aspect to the QAnon conspiracy. I mean, it is, it, it utilizes uh, and uh, uh, plays off of scripture and, and Christian symbols and elements. And so we, we need to be able to say when we're wrong. And I, I think I was definitely wrong on that point. I will back you up and I appreciate your courage in leading out with that in that I, I feel like I was wrong as well. And that is Christian nationalism wrong. I think you and I have always thought that is wrong. Um, where we were wrong was our measurement of its um, significance. And uh, it does, it does play a major significance in affairs right now. And I think one of the things that we have seen is a, is a lack of clarity on what it is. And I think as much as definitions are important, I think also talking about what are, what are, telltale signs of it. And that's something I know you've been thinking about. Yeah. And, you know, I am, I'm kind of a stickler about the definition about this term. I was having a conversation with a buddy from high school about it. Um, And I think he sort of very kindly and graciously kind of pushed back at me and was like, Robert, I think you're being a little too uh, uh, persnickety about getting a very clean definition and clear definition. Um, Because I think he's right in that we are currently, I think, operating on a working definition of Christian nationalism that regardless of where you fall on the usefulness of that term, we've all sort of agreed, you know, whatever that was, you know, that was Christian nationalism. And I think what it was, was this, uh, in a sense, it's tying the future flourishing of the church to the future flourishing of America in a mutually dependent sort of way. That's how I see what the Christian nationalism that was on display on the 6th, that's what it was. And that's wrong. And something interesting also is it, it isn't even the good kind of um, religious virtue that is needed to buttress a country to support it. It's the, it works the other way where 
if America doesn't succeed, then the church will fall apart. So it really is like, which comes first in Christian nationalism? And the one that comes first is that America as a country is preeminent to the success in that the gates of hell should not prevail against it uh, to, to the church. And that is, like you said, it is a wrong kind of mutuality there that doesn't exist in scripture and is not real. And then it also reverses um, the, the way that the relationship should be operating for Christians and for the way that a, a healthy country can operate. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think what my, my disappointment with it as a term for, has been for so long is that it's been mostly used as a, a gavel against, it, it's essentially been a stood in for anything that the right does that I don't like. Um, and that, that's what I've been willing to call Christian nationalism. Uh, and, you know, we've kind of been uh, going back and forth on our own, just kind of pointing out some of the ways that people who decry Christian nationalism in in turn participate in their own sort of Christian nationalism, just from their own side. I think that um, as a, as a definition, it's, I think it's used too liberally. I don't think people um, are quite being very clear about it's about what they actually mean. And I think there's a lot of work to be done there about defining Christian nationalism. And I think it can be defined better. Um, that being said, I, I recognize that there's sort of emerging a, a working definition that I'm okay with. Uh, if it means that we're going to tie the, you know, the success of the church to the success of America in a mutually dependent sort of way, then I'm there. Well, there, there's definitely going to be more future opportunities to clarify, flesh out what is Christian nationalism. I know that, especially after Wednesday, our friends on the Hill and up in D.C. are very interested in talking about that, are very interested in working through that and processing it and seeing how do they live out their faith in a way that is God-honoring and puts Christ and his church first and then their service to their country, which is what people up here are doing. We should be thankful for that instead of the other way around. And um, I'm looking forward to those conversations. I'm really looking forward to diving into that, to clarifying things, because I think it will help us live well, especially people who are in D.C., to live well in, within their calling. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. I, I think that uh, there is absolutely a, let's call it an overwrought pietism that wants to do everything it can to deny our uh, American citizenship uh, in in light of our uh, heavenly citizenship, and while I would I would absolutely one hundred percent endorse and affirm that our citizenship in the kingdom of God is first and foremost, I would also say that we ha- we have been called in some sense uh, to be citizens of our of this nation, and we need to steward it well and. And that absolutely is what I think a lot of the people that we work with on the Hill see their roles as being, as, as service uh, to the nation and doing it in such a way that it honors and glorifies God um, in uh, obedience and in service to his kingdom. And I think that that is really where um, this conversation needs to go, because I, I think if we're too liberal with the term, we're going to end up basically doing a form of abandoning uh, this place. Um, and I don't think that's a good way to love and care for our neighbors. Man, I think that's good. I think this is actually a good place to end. We have more that we definitely want to talk about, but we can come back to them next week. They're they're a little more timeless than uh, than what we talked about this week and what was going on. I appreciate what you said about wanting to support people who are working up here. And there's, in some ways, David Brooks wrote a really good op-ed about this is when the fever breaks. Um, I think he wrote it on the 7th. And there, there's a lot of, I think, 
while we're continuing to understand and flesh out what is meant and what is implied, what are the, the what's the fallout of what happened on January 6th? Um, there is a little more clarity, okay, of, of what's good and bad. What do we need to be healthy again? Um, you know, I, I think as Christians, we would do well in this time to probably sit back and maybe meditate on the Proverbs a little bit and consider our words and consider what words we use around each other and our friends uh, to speak carefully as wise words give life. Uh, the psalmist says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Let's, uh, I think we can practice that. And I think we can grow in that and be salt and light through that. For sure, dude. I love that. Well, thank you, Will. I think that's awesome. Um, and thank you for listening to the Will and Rob Show. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler. Will is at Stockdale Will. Um, also, as the comms director, I, I, would, I would not be doing my job if I didn't announce that Ministry of State has a brand new website uh, that yeah, you can visit at ministryofstate.org. Um, check that out. One thing that I'm really excited that we're going to be starting to do, uh, we're going to start doing on that website is actually having blog posts uh, with each new episode. And in that blog post, uh, I'll be able to share a lot of show notes and share the articles that we mentioned. And so uh, if you heard us mention uh, uh, an op-ed that you'd be interested in reading, you can actually check it out there. So just visit uh, ministryofstate.org and then click the resources tab uh, and you'll be able to find us. And so uh, with that, we'll see you guys again next week. <laughs>